Okay, guys, we're in Acts chapter 15. Now we're going to get to where we are. Paul's had his first missionary journey. He's back at the church at Antioch with Barnabas. And a problem arises in the church. Let me just go ahead and stop. I want to point this out to you. We sometimes have a concept, I've pointed this out to you before, that church is supposed to be perfect with no problems whatsoever. But the, but the difficulty with this is this, that when you look at the early church, that was not true of them. From the very beginning, there had been problems in the church. Even while God was doing amazing things, there were problems in the church. And here's one that we're going to see that really gets to the heart of what the gospel is. And especially about what was required for you and I as Gentiles to come to faith. And there's something that we can learn from this. So the first thing I want you to understand is, is that when there are problems in a church, don't necessarily assume that there's something wrong with the church. Well, yeah, there's a problem in a church, but that doesn't mean that there's, the church is going wrong. It just means that maybe because it's going forward for the gospel, the enemy is going to attack. And how the enemy attacks here is by getting to the heart of what the gospel is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Getting to what the heart of the gospel is. So we're going to see a controversy. So notice with me verse 1, and we're going to talk about the issue of false teaching that's happening. Okay? The issue of false teaching. Now look, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? So here's what I want you to see. Luke records that certain men came down from the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. All right? Now, again, remember, I said come down, you know, geographically they're going north, but what does it mean they come down? Well, Jerusalem is set up on a hill, up on a mountain, Mount Zion. And so in their perspective, everybody goes down. You go either up to Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem. And so they're saying they're going down to Antioch. Certain men came from the church, and this was typical. They had teachers and evangelists who would travel around. So it's not unusual to have people coming from the church, and they'll come and do some teaching. The problem is, is what they were teaching. These men taught that the church taught the church in Antioch that they must observe the law to be saved. These men taught that in order for folks to be saved, they had to observe the Mosaic law. And specifically, what part of the law? Anybody? What does the text say here? Yeah, the the men had to be circumcised. They were specifically saying that they had to become Jews in order to be saved, in order to be saved. Now, of course, this is going to draw a reaction from specifically Paul and Barnabas. So notice with me verses 2 through 5. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. 
and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and reported them all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to commend them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so we're going to see that there's a dispute that happens. First thing, Paul and Barnabas aggressively confronted the teaching from these visitors. Aggressively. Now, when you look at verse 2, Luke writes, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. That's a sarcastic statement. That's not saying they just kind of politely said, oh, you guys are wrong. You need to change. What you're seeing here is they were aggressively addressing this issue. Aggressively addressing this issue. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You know, I've been here 15 years. In the 15 years I've been here, I've I've noticed that sometimes there are false teachings that arise within the church. And, and sometimes they even come into our church, and the question is, is how do we address them? So let me just stop for a moment. Can anybody think of something in the last few years that maybe has been in our area that was wrong, that people were kind of embracing in our, in our churches a little bit, that would be subtle, but you wouldn't really know for sure? Anybody got an idea? I've got a couple things in my mind. Anybody? How about if I give you one? Ten years ago, probably 12 years ago, there was a, and it's still around in the area, but there were some folks, maybe if you've heard this, who, who believe that Jesus Christ already came back in A.D. 70. How many of you have heard that one? You might be shocked to know that that viewpoint is very prevalent in this area because one of the gurus of that movement is up from Bradford. And so suddenly... There, there has been in people coming into the churches who embrace that point of view. And so my question is, how do you address that? Do you just kind of ignore it? Is it something that we should be concerned about? That saying Jesus Christ came back in A.D. 70 and everything that happened in the book of Revelation already happened in A.D. 70. Is that something we should be concerned about? Okay. 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 All right, so Bruce is saying a twofold approach. If they began to subtly begin to teach that among people, then we need to aggressively address that. But if they came here having believed that, but they're not making any waves but they're wanting to learn, then they should be able to be taught, right? Okay, that's good. So Bruce is suggesting a twofold approach there. Would everybody agree with that? Okay. Anybody else? Something like that. Anything else that you can think of? Okay, yeah, there are some who believe that. Yeah, uh, it's called baptismal regeneration perspective, and there are some who believe that. 
They're not normally typically aggressive about going to other churches, but there are those who believe that. And they're aggressive about sharing that with you. Yeah, that's correct, Bruce. Okay? All right, anybody else? Here's one that's out there, and I've known of several, a couple of churches now that are dealing with this, and that is folks who show up and who are very... They embrace Reformed theology, another viewpoint of that is Calvinism. And so it seems like every time they're, in, they're usually in Sunday school classes or whatever, they begin to really sh- take over by everything is, has to do with that. Did you understand what I'm saying? And that's basically that God elects people and everybody else is elected to go to hell. How many of you have heard that perspective? Okay. Now, they're, they're, and, and usually they're not, they're not trained, so they're not pastors or teachers. They're, they've usually read somebody else, and they've embraced that. But now they feel like everybody else is wrong. And so everybody else needs corrected. And so they sometimes go into churches, and they, they start sharing, and they feel so passionate about it. So my question to you is, how do we address that? Do we address it? aggressively? Do we just ignore it? What do we do? Because what can happen if we don't address address it? Well, not just dissension, but you're right. Cause dissension, Brad. What else could it do? Well, division, that's what Brad was saying. How about confusion? Okay? Because when you look at what's going on here in Antioch, they're saying you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Do you think that was causing confusion? about what salvation is. See, the thing I want you to see is is that you have to address it because if you don't address it, it's going to confuse people. Yeah, in this instance, they're going to go to hell if they believe that. Yeah, you're exactly right, Bruce. And And in the instance of what we're facing in our churches, it can cause confusion and lead people astray into what? Wrong teaching bad doctrine. What were you going to say, Sam? Yeah, and this is what we're, and this is part of it here, is that you've got to do something in order to um, be accepted by God, okay? So, yeah, you need to aggressively address these things. So here Paul and Barnabas are doing that and aggressively confronting them. Now, let me ask a question here. When we talk about, so I don't want to leave you thinking, okay, well, they're going to drop the hammer on anybody who comes in. When we talk about aggressively addressing it, that means we're being proactive in addressing it. It does not mean the manner in which it's addressed. There's a difference. Talking about aggressively addressing it does not mean the manner in which it's addressed. Because the manner in which it's addressed, we have other scriptural guidelines that tell us how to address things with people. So even if you've got somebody who's blatantly coming in and teaching something wrong, yes, you need to, you need to be proactive in addressing it. But Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 tells you how to address it. You're to do it with a spirit, according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, a spirit of what? Meekness and gentleness. You're to address it. You're to be firm, but you're also to be what? Gentle with them. Why? Because you're always, with any confrontation, are seeking to what? 
restore them. All confrontation in the Bible is for the purpose of what? Restoring people. Okay? Restoring people. So I want you to understand. But see, they're, they're wanting to confront it here aggressively because they're concerned about it causing havoc and confusion. Okay? And confusion among the people there. So here's what ends up happening in verse 2. This caused the church in Antioch to send a delegation with a question for the apostles. Look, I can see why they're doing this, because these guys who are coming up from Jerusalem are probably showing up and they're saying, well, you know, we're from Jerusalem and we've sat under the apostles' teaching, and this is the perspective of Jerusalem. You need to do this in order to be saved. Well, it's pretty wise for them to decide, you know what, we need to get right to the heart of this matter. Let's send a delegation down to Jerusalem and ask them, them ourselves, is this necessary for them to do? Is it necessary for them to keep the law? Is it necessary for them to become Jews? Is this necessary? So they're going to go right to the heart of the matter. They're not going to just go by what these two guys, these guys are saying. They're going to go right, send a delegation down to, to Jerusalem to ask the question of the apostles. So, so as they traveled, they shared the grace shown to the Gentiles with the churches. So as they traveled down from Antioch, down to Jerusalem, of course, it's, you know, they're going by foot, so it's going to be several days. They've got to stay over places. And as they stay over places, they're going to stay with other Christians. When they, when they gather there, the church will probably, folks will gather together as a church, and they'll share the story of what God was doing among the Gentiles. And they probably already are sharing about their missionary journey. Okay, Paul's first missionary journey. So, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they gave their report to the apostles. Now, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they brought with them Gentiles. Gentile believers. We're going to see that here in a moment. And this causes the demand of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, who were Christians among them, the Pharisees with the church demanded that the Gentiles keep the Mosaic law. So there was this group within the church who demanded that they keep the law. So then what we're going to see in verses 6 through 29 is what is known as the Jerusalem Council. This is the very first church council in all of church history gathered together to really discuss this one important issue about what does it take to be saved? What's required of the Gentiles, okay, for salvation? So I want you to notice with me. Let's look at verse 6, and we're going to read up until verse 21. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute... Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose from among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Okay, so let's talk about this right now. Let's look here. So first of all, the apostles and elders of the church gathered to discuss the issue concerning the Gentiles. So the elders of the church, the apostles gathered to have a discussion. And, and really, it's interesting when you look here, they had a dispute. What does that mean? Was it heated? Yeah, it was a heated discussion. Okay, so it's not like they, they got together and just had somebody make a motion, somebody second it. No, they had a discussion, okay? Now, Peter shares how he had shared the gospel with the Gentiles, and they responded. So the folks in Jerusalem already knew this. They already knew, because all the way back in Acts chapter 11, they already confronted Peter about this once before. They already knew that Peter had shared the gospel with the Gentiles and how God saved the Gentiles, okay, by faith. So Peter stated that God acknowledged their faith by giving them the Holy Spirit. So, again, he's, he's saying God saved them. In fact, he gave them the Holy Spirit. We saw that. We, we, we saw the evidence of that. So he explained that God showed no distinction between Jews and Gentiles in salvation. Now, here's the point you've got to understand. This is true for even us as Gentiles. God shows no distinction in whose salvation is available to. No distinction. Do you understand? There's no people who are not worthy of being saved. Do you understand? There are no second-class citizens with God. No people group. God explains that God showed no distinction between Jews and Gentiles in salvation. Peter questions how they can impose the burden of the law which they could not keep. Now, see, I think this is interesting because this really gets to the heart of the issue. I think Sam raised it earlier about legalism. Does everybody understand what legalism is? 
Legalism is man-made rules or assumptions that we impose on others for them to keep in order for them to be accepted by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's something that we convey. It's principles. We Usually it always comes from the Bible. But it's some kind of a viewpoint or, or some kind of a law, some kind of a commandment, some kind of a principle that we impose on others, that we've come to a conclusion about that we impose on others, and we tell them that you must do this in order for God to accept you, in order for you to be blessed, in order for you, not necessarily for salvation, but it's illegalism, okay? Now, the problem with legalism is this. Even those who impose legalism on others, are they able to keep those rules, regulations, principles, laws by themselves? Are they able to keep them? No. No, nobody can. I mean, you think about it for a moment. Think about the things that the rules, regulation, principles that govern your life, okay? You kind of set up some things in your life that you say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going, I'm, this is what I'm allowed to do. This is what I'm not allowed to do. How well are you doing at keeping your own rules? How well are you, are, are you doing that with? Do you know what I'm saying? We're not. We're not really good at it. And Peter's trying to point out to these Jewish folks who are saying that they need to keep the law of Moses. He's saying to them, guys, you're telling them to keep the law of Moses that we ourselves aren't even good at keeping. We can't keep them. Okay? We, we're, you're telling them we need, they need to do this, but we ourselves are not able to do that. In fact, isn't that, if you think about it, Jesus, when he confronted the Pharisees, we've been looking at that in Matthew, he's pointing out the very same thing to them. They hold others to a standard, judge them because they can't meet this standard, but the reality is is they can't keep it themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? They can't keep it themselves. So he questions how they can impose the burden of the law which they could not keep. So Peter proclaimed that just as they were saved by grace, so are the Gentiles. Isn't it wonderful to know that? That affects you and I. Just as they were saved by grace, so are the Gentiles. Now, Paul and Barnabas shared the reports of the miracles God had worked among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas shared the reports of the miracles God worked among the Gentiles. So at this point, Paul and Barnabas get up, and they're like, hey, guys, let me tell you what's happened when we went on our missionary trip through Asia Minor. And, and they share all of the stories of what happened on their first missionary journey about how God was doing miraculous things among the Gentiles and people were coming to faith. So James calls those assembled to listen to him. Now, let me just explain something. This is not James the apostle. We've already seen that he's been killed. Acts chapter 12. Who is this? James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, who would go on, and it probably at this point is, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, okay? The pastor of the Jerusalem church. So he calls all those assembled to listen to him. James affirmed Peter's report that God has taken a people to himself from the Gentiles. All right, now let me stop. This is a description of you and I. If you're here and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've made that decision to follow him. 
you recognize who he is, that he is God, the Son of God, that he died on the cross for you, and you've made that decision of commitment to follow him, James is saying that what has happened is, is that God has chosen you, forgive me for that word, even though I just talked about the reform guys, God has selected you out of Gentiles to be a, a special people to himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because before that, who was God's special people? Before Jesus. Just Israel. But now God has included who? Gentiles to be that special people. So he's taken a people to himself from the Gentiles. You are a people taken from among the Gentiles to be a special people for God. He proclaimed that God has known this throughout eternity. What's happening and, and, and people coming to faith from the Gentiles, God's known that from eter throughout eternity that that's going to happen. So James states that they should not hinder Gentiles who are turning to God. I think that's a point we need to even grasp today. We should not make it burdensome for people to come to the Lord burdensome for people to come to the Lord. I just, had the, I just had this conversation a week ago Friday. We were here gathered for prayers. Just Normally we have a group of men, but it was just myself and another trustee. And a lady called wanting some help. And, and, and uh, so we were able to help her. And, um, but then I, you know, I always asked her, I said, do you go to church anywhere? And I said, you know, there's 10 churches in town. You should Pick, there's all, 10 churches that you can choose from. And she said, well, you know, I, I think I talked to your wife. Lori was here for home for the holidays, and Lori talked to her. And, uh, and then she said this to me, we don't have church clothes. We don't have church clothes. I said, that's okay. We don't wear church clothes here. It's Okay. Let me just stop for a moment. Is that a hindrance to somebody coming and hearing about Jesus? That's because we still have a generation that insists on that. It is ridiculous. Why? I, I, I don't know. Maybe sometimes you ever... You know, I get this way sometimes. You just think one thing, and you only think that one thing, and no matter what somebody tells you, you just think that one thing, right? But is that a hindrance to people coming to the Lord? I mean, if, if I mean, I hear that. Do you think that's a hindrance? Why? Because we communicate that somehow, don't we? That they can't come in. We're hindering them, aren't we? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, subtle, yeah, go ahead, Lori. It's not just. Go ahead. They feel like they have to clean up before they come. And why do we, why, where do they get that concept from? Us. You're right, Tammy, from us. Yeah. Yeah, Brooke. Yep. 
that's exactly right. And there's that perception. And sometimes we, what, what is it especially communicated, because if you read the news, that's how we're coming across. Do you know what I'm saying? If you read the news, that's how Christians are coming across. Whether they walk in here or not, they just need to look at the news. You know, go, go ahead. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And No, that's true. Okay. You're you're exactly right. And here's what I would say, Bruce. I don't think it's that a majority of us view that way. But I think it's a vocal minority. Because the majority, what I have found as I've pastored people, the majority of people don't say anything. They don't feel that. They just come and they just want to come and have church. But there's always, have you, have you found this to be true? There's always a vocal minority who kind of dominate things and who, who are the guys at work who make the, the stupid comments to people that tick people off? You know, you know what I'm saying? They're the ones who, I mean, when you look at these pastors who are on the news, that's not a majority of pastors in America. It's a minority. Once in a while, they do come. Yeah. No, no. No, once in a while. In fact, this, this person that we talk to is really genuinely looking for a church. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, no. And to be honest with you, though, people, whether or not they come into a church, it has to do with, we, I like to say it, their experiences. And if they have negative experiences, that's a lot to overcome. You've got to overcome your own personal history with people before you walk into a place. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, let's go on because we want to get through here. Gentiles, here's what they did say. You're saying, well, it sounds like they're imposing a law. No, they're not imposing a law. The law was given to Moses. What you're going to see that's talked about here was actually from the very beginning. Here's what James says. We should write them a letter and tell them not that they need to do this for faith, but this is what they need to do for their Christian life. Gentiles should abstain from idols, sexual immorality, and eating meat with blood. What do you, what do you mean eating meat with blood? Well, here's the thing. How many of you killed a deer? Did you hang it? Did you let, why did you hang it? Yeah, to let the blood to drain and also for the meat to... You know, so that, that's appropriate. But let's say you went ahead and just ate it without hanging it. And you left the blood in it. There was a prohibition actually all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 where God said to Moses, you can now eat meat. But he told them what he, they couldn't eat meat like. With blood in it because that's the life of the animal. So is that a Mosaic law? No. 
That was a law that God gave to all humankind, to all mankind. Do you understand what I'm saying? So James is referring back to an even older law that we should, what? Even older, stain from idols. Do you think that's been there from the beginning? Yes. Sexual morality, you think that's been there from the beginning? Yes. And the issue of eating meat to abstain from animals that are strangled with the blood in it. Yes. Yeah, like, uh, have you ever had bloodwurst? Okay, well, you're not Russian then. Russians eat bloodwurst. There are still some cultures today where they will eat meat with the blood still in, in the meat. Yes. It was an issue among the Gentiles. Yes. It was an issue among the Gentiles. Now, you and I, like, we don't want any blood in our, our meat. Come on, George. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, give me a break. This is not an issue for us, okay? But notice now what he didn't say. He didn't say, you guys can't eat pork. He didn't say that. He just said, when you eat the animal, make sure the blood is drained out of it. That goes all the way back to Genesis. All right? goes all the way back to Genesis. Now, so... This is appropriate since every city has those who hold to the Mosaic law. What he's saying here is, when he makes this statement is, Gentiles don't need to do this to proclaim the law because the law already has those who hold to the, to the, to the Mosaic law. Who's that? Who holds to the Mosaic law? Jews. Isn't that true? Jews are everywhere. And they are. So what James is saying here, as far as proclaiming the law of Moses, there are Jews everywhere to proclaim the law of Moses, but we shouldn't impose that on the Gentiles. We shouldn't impose that on the Gentiles. Now, look with me at verse 22 to 29. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send the chosen of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men from among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them, the apostles and elders and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord and to send chosen men to you and our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood from things strangled, from sexual morality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay, so notice now with me. Here's what's going on here. The council selected men from Jerusalem to accompany Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. All right, so stop. Do you think this is a wise move? They made a decision. Rather than just sending the decision back with Paul and Barnabas and their group, they decide to also send people from the Jerusalem church with them. Do you think that's a wise move? Why? Not just unity. 
Okay, so that they all agree, but what does that going to communicate to those back in Antioch? Let's say there's these false teachers there. If people show up with Paul and Barnabas, they could say, well, that's just you guys. Who, who said you didn't write that letter somewhere else? But if there's people coming from Jerusalem with them, that substantiates what? The decision. Okay? Substantiates the decision. So the council sent a letter to the Gentiles concerning the issue. So they sent a letter to the church in Antioch, not just in Antioch, but in all of Syria and Cilicia. That's part of, of Asia Minor. The council acknowledged that some from Jerusalem troubled them with their teaching. So they acknowledged. Now, in fact, I want you to notice what they said in their letter. We didn't send them. That's pretty straightforward, right? They didn't come from us. We didn't tell them to tell you that. Very straightforward. They stated that they sent the letter to address the issue. So they sent the letter to address this issue about whether or not they needed to start keeping the law, be circumcised in order to be saved. So they proclaimed only a restriction concerning idols, sexual immorality, and bloody meat. Okay? All right. 